Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only show that talks about watching soccer on TV, online, and on apps. Coming up on episode five of the World Soccer Talk podcast, we're going to go around the world to discuss the Premier League, UEFA Champions League, and La Liga, as well as Liga MX, A-League, and Major League Soccer. Plus, later on in the episode, we'll be chatting about the United Soccer League, better known as USL, and whether it can be an attractive TV league or not. And last but not least, we have a ton of questions and comments from you, the listeners. Uh, but, but before we jump into that, I'm joined uh, by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay, thanks. All right, cool. And my name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer. So, Kartik, let's start off by talking about what we've been watching. Um, for me personally, this, this past weekend was a blur. Um, I attended uh, a soccer tournament up near St. Augustine, Florida, and that was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday event, one of these major tournaments for, for my, my uh, girl who plays, my daughter who plays travel soccer. It was enjoyable, but it was kind of bad timing. I mean, you got El Clasico going, and that was uh, Saturday morning, Eastern time. And actually, it managed to be in between um, uh, games in this to- soccer tournament. So I had about an hour spare, and I watched uh, El Clasico from the hotel lobby, had my laptop with me, and, um, of course, the, the, the TVs in the hotel didn't have BN Sports or NBCSN. So I was, I was watching El Clasico from the hotel lobby. Um, the match wasn't the most entertaining one, but I was able to watch it as what, using Fubo TV. And um, the stream is perfect. There was no complaints. Enjoyed watching it. And um, actually, I watched, I think, most of, most of the first half. And then for the second half, I had to had to go and get ready for the um, to take my daughter to, to the next game. But uh, that was the start of, uh, of my weekend. How about you, Kartik? Yeah, I watched uh, the, the Premier League on, on NBC. The, the Spurs-Swansea game obviously was on at the same time as the uh, classical. I opted to watch that game, and it was uh, about as one-sided a Premier League match as I've seen in the last decade. It was just terrible. Uh, it, it's one-sided in favor of Spurs, I should mention. Uh, the City-Chelsea match earlier in the morning. I woke up early for that. That was a uh, that that was a well-covered match by NBC. They had Steve Bauer back on commentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, first time I think he's been a co- a commentator this season. If I he was in the studio the first few weeks when Rebecca Lowe was at the Olympics, and I don't think he's been in the commentary booth since. Uh, Bauer, uh, kind of a jack of all trades. We saw him 
obviously hosting the studios, fill, fill in for Rebecca Lowe at various times the last few years, and also uh, do commentary from matches. And uh, he had a uh, multiple roles with uh, ESPN over the summer on their Euro 2016 coverage. So uh, it was good to hear his voice again, and I thought he did a, a very good job on commentary. And, and uh, also watched uh, on Sunday the Bournemouth-Liverpool game, which was just a fantastic uh, back-and-forth match, which Liverpool failed to close out. And then, of course, the Everton-Man United game. And as always, after that game, goal zone is entertaining because maybe NBC goes overboard with this, Chris. Maybe this is something we can discuss uh, in greater length another time and love to get some whisper feedback on it. But when Jose, when Manchester United does not win, and it was the same thing with Chelsea last year and, uh, until he was sacked, there seems to be an entire show geared towards what is Jose Mourinho going to say post-game and how is Robbie Musto or, and Kyle Martino or Robbie Earl going to react. And that was this that was this goal zone. That was this post-game show. And, of course, I'm sitting at the edge of my seat waiting for Mourinho's comments and then waiting for the reaction of the, the studio team. It wasn't Martino this week. It was Earl and Musto. And Musto, of course, laid Manchester United's uh, poor form uh, at the doorstep of Jose Mourinho, in spite of Mourinho's comments that they were playing better football than anyone in the league, or the implication of that. So uh, that that was entertaining. I mean, it's gotten to the point where Mourinho and analysis of Mourinho is more entertaining than the actual matches Mourinho uh, manages in and the other matches in the league. Yeah, we're living in strange times. I think it's it's one of those things that most of us, especially in the last decade, we're not used to uh, Manchester United uh, being in the crisis. And even though they're doing okay in Europe, you know, I mean, in terms of uh, league form, uh, it's definitely worrying times. Um, the same thing happened, though, Kartik, actually, when, when we watched the, um, the League Cup uh, post-match between, uh, actually, Man United and Man City on being sports. And that was, uh, what was it, the quarterfinal of the EFL Cup. And the whole post-show was focused on Manchester United and Jose. And you had Ray Hudson and Gary Bailey just going on and on and on about Man United, and even though I, I realize that Man United is one of the biggest clubs in the world, sometimes it'd be nice to get a little bit of kind of balance to say, okay, well, yes, yeah, United had a poor game, or yes, Jose, uh, uh, Jose got involved in terms of some of, uh, you mean, kicking the bottle or whatever he does on, on a regular basis, but oftentimes it'd be nice to actually have some counterbalance and talk about the other team and kind of like maybe the other team did uh, matched up really well, or you mean, but but. Yeah, it is. It is interesting, and it is kind of strange. But uh, and and probably for Man United supporters, probably it's a little bit too much, a little bit overdone. And even for the neutrals, I think it is too. Yeah, I think it, I think it's. Uh, and, and I was into this right a, mm -hmm. a year ago, uh, eighteen months ago. But now it's it's getting predictable. It's getting kind of stale, and it's uh, it's almost like. Rebecca Lowe will have these kind of almost snarky. She's she's so, so kind of neutral and down the middle normally, but these kind of snarky remarks before Mourinho gives his before they play the tape or Mourinho gives his press conference, and it, it's just it's getting kind of old, it's kind of and, it, and getting very predictable. Yeah, I think in many ways, I mean, you would almost need a Gary Neville to really kind of break it down and say, okay, here's exactly what the issue is, and and here's kind of, I mean, there's so many problems at United, but here's kind of like. The, the one or two major problems that Josie needs to fix. Because um, oftentimes, I don't know, I, I don't know if you've seen that Kartik on, on NBC uh, this season thus far. No, I haven't. 
Yeah, and maybe maybe that's part part of it too. Is just that uh, yes, I mean the Robbies are great at giving analysis and, and Rebecca and asking the questions, um, but maybe we don't have any major. But but they're responding. But the problem is, I think they're responding to individual games right. and individual performances that have just taken place. And I, you're right. I don't think they've taken Manchester United struggles or Manchester City struggles, quite frankly, uh, where Pep Guardiola, who's uh, is alleged or according to many people, is the best manager in the world, but he's not looking like it in England thus far. He's looking like uh, he's met his match in English football. There isn't the kind of um, hardcore um, perspective analysis of, of either of them and their failings thus far at the two Manchester clubs that we would expect to see. And, and I think t the thought was, the narrative coming into the season was, these are the two... New these two are going to dominate the league and, and Manchester versus Manchester. And instead, what we have is Antonio Conte uh, doing the job he's doing at Chelsea. Now, there's plenty of analysis of that. And I think Robbie Musto uh, has nailed a lot of that. And Kyle Martino, et cetera. But I think this is the first time I would quibble with, like, NBC's worldview or uh, global perspective, if you want to call it that, or macro perspective on these two managers. There hasn't been enough detailed analysis. I'm getting much better detailed analysis on where Pep is making mistakes and where Mourinho is making mistakes from watching Craig Burley on ESPN FC uh, talk about it or Shaka Hislop than I am from the NBC studio team. And I, I'm not really in the mood to wait till Monday night at 5.30 Eastern time when Burley's on or Hislop's on mm -hmm. or Stevie Nichols on to, to get that analysis. I mean, I kind of want it around the games. And NBC has been great in so many things they've done, but I think they this is... This has been a little bit lacking, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think part of it too is oftentimes it is very match focused. So it's kind of okay, what happened in this game, and what are your thoughts on it, and okay, right now we're moving on to the next game. There's, and there's very little time to kind of do a deep dive, uh, which is something that with, like, with the Monday Night Football in England on Sky Sports with Gary Neville, uh, and sometimes I mean Jamie Carragher. Um, they get usually about 45 minutes to do a really deep dive analysis on something that happened over the I, weekend. I think that's a great point, actually. I think that's where it, it happens in, in, on Sky in the UK. They don't do it around the games either. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of deep dive analysis on Match of the Day on BBC, but that's different studio team, different network entirely than who's broadcasting the games, whether it's BT or Sky in the UK. Now, I don't know what NBC's long-term vision for their version of Match of the Day is, but it's um, at times it's worth watching because there is some studio analysis by Musto and Martino and, and Earl that they don't give on the normal programming. But oftentimes it's just a, and, it, and I think it often depends on how many games they're going on, on on certain days. Oftentimes it's just a collection and extent. It's just a cut of extended highlights mm -hmm. with Rebecca Lowe, uh, giving bits in between, uh, introducing the games, and then that's it. And so then you don't have the deep dive analysis there. And again, uh, you're waiting for ESPN FC. And I know uh, from just looking at television numbers, ESPN FC is not being watched by nearly as many people as these uh, link shows on NBC, SN, and CNBC, and, and whatever channel is showing the uh, NBC over there that's showing the Premier League. So uh, there's a real opportunity being missed, I think. One of the things I think is that uh, is that match of the day that's on NBC, SN, and then Goal Zone are too similar. I mean, it's, it's to me, it's it's very. I mean, yeah. What's the difference yeah, between the, the two shows? 
the analysis, I think, is is all, also too similar. So sometimes mm-hmm. uh, Earl and Musto and Martino were giving different bits of analysis than they gave during goal zone. Right. Sometimes. Right. Most of the time, they're not. Yeah, yeah, it's, re- that's, it's repetitive. that's a fundamental problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, and I like watching the extended highlights of the game. So I, I DVR every match of the day, whereas I don't DVR every goal zone. I'll admit that. I go right. back and I watch match of the day. But it, it is there's no need almost to DVR both shows because they're giving the same same analysis. Right. Yeah, it's definitely uh, kind of an area of improvement or a room for opportunity for NBCSN. Uh, for me personally, I, so I missed all of the weekend action. I came back late Sunday. Uh, and was able to watch, well, actually before I was watch, watching uh, Borough against Hull City, I sat down on Monday morning and just watched Goalzone. I watched it on, on the NBC Sports app via um, Apple TV, and it was great. It was wonderful. I sat down, watched uh, Arlo talking from um, uh, London Stadium about after the West Ham Arsenal game, and it led me through the entire weekend. And for me, that was it was per- a perfect catch-up show, and it gives me plenty of analysis, gives me the, the goals, but also makes me wonder, like, why can't Fox do something like this for whether it's the, the Champions League uh, or Major League Soccer? Yeah, uh, that's that, that that's absolutely true. I mean, I I don't know why they haven't had any sort of kind of magazine program like that or uh, or something behind the scenes with uh, with a club in Major League Soccer or a club uh, in the Champions League. I think the MLS one might be easier to do. Maybe it's because a lot of that that cool stuff MLS holds onto the rights to, and they produce it on their own website. I, I'm not I'm not quite sure, but it it is uh, it, it is something that bugs me that they don't do. There there isn't those kind of that kind of bumper programming around Major League Soccer that there is around the Premier League in this country. And and for me, the behind the badge episode. I know vast majority of people are going to disagree with me, but that's because I've worked in the game and I have kind of a unique perspective versus the person who is the average fan. And you should be catering to the average fan, not to me. But uh, they, they've done, Gary Lineker has done more interviews with uh, staff people, like front office staff, uh, the person who does the graphic art, the person who lays out the match day program, the person who sends out the press releases, which, are, which I've done at football clubs, uh, the, the person who uh, handles the operations and the groundskeeping uh, on this Watford series than he did on the Palace series last year. I found that personally very interesting. Now, I think a lot of people are saying, well, there's less player interviews, there's less coaches uh, interaction, because obviously Matsari is not very comfortable with his English. By the way, he does speak English, but he's just not very comfortable with it, so he's not going to speak speak on camera in English. And um, that sort of thing. And, and, and the, even the player interviews are limited compared to what we saw with Palace. So... Um, I understand why people liked that series better, but I personally am really enjoying this one. I'm enjoying it, but but not as much as the Crystal Palace one. And, and I think part of that is uh, not not just Matt Matarazzi uh, not speaking that much English, but I think Alan Pardew, whether you love him or hate him, you know, he's definitely a character. Uh, you've also got the Ultras, uh, a palace, was the Holmesdale, and uh, those Ultras are really kind of passionate, as are Watford fans, but they're... The Palace fans are a little bit uh, something different. So for me, behind the scenes, I, lo- I love watching it. And I do uh, have enjoyed the, um, the first two episodes so far, and I'll continue to watch it. It's just for me that Watford seems to be a less interesting club than Crystal Palace, which is probably why <laughs> Watford wants to do this and did the deal with NBC to go ahead and have um, this, um, this program in the U.S. to kind of you know, increase their uh, exposure in the U.S. But Watford... 
I mean, Watford in the 70s with Elton John, etc. Yeah, really, really interesting. But of late, they just seem to be kind of a very well-run club that doesn't do anything special. But Kartik, the, the one part actually uh, I just forgot to mention to you, it was from that first episode, episode one of uh, Behind the Badge with Watford. The one th- part I was thought was really, really interesting, and I, and, and I did enjoy all the, the kind of behind the stuff, uh, behind the scenes stuff that you saw too, was uh, Troy Deeney uh, talking to the referee in the players' tunnel at the end of the first half of the game. And I think he was uh, complaining about some of the calls. And usually, I mean, 90% of the time, 99% of the time, you'll see the players kind of running off down the tunnel, and you see him kind of talking to the, the to the referees, um, but you have no idea what they're saying. You kind of try, you obviously, you kind of have an idea of uh, if they're upset or whatever. But this was kind of just kind of open, frank discussion between the two of them, kind of an argument, and that's something that you rarely hear, if ever. So that was uh, something I enjoyed. In in the second episode, um, the one part I thought was really interesting too was uh, Peter Drury, the uh, the football commentator. They had an interview with him, and he was with, there with his son. But uh, so far, nothing too memorable. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know about you if there's anything in particular that stood out for you for uh, Behind the Badge so far. No, I just have enjoyed the series. And, and, and uh, I think maybe the laying out of the match day program, because it's something I've had to do myself. And I was taking notes and, and saying, OK, this is how Watford does. It. This is how a big Premier League club does it. Next time I have to do it in NASL or USL or PDL or NPSL, one of our uh, smaller leagues in this country or lower leagues. Uh, uh, here, here, here's something to refer to. Yeah, and then uh, something else I watched this uh, this past week was something I've never done before, and that was on Tuesday. I watched the um, a show on BT Sport. So I had a, a VPN. I was able to watch uh, it's a show called Champions League Goals Show, and it's on BT Sport in the UK. It's similar to Multimatch 90 in that uh, it's a uh, instant highlights show. So if you're watching a 2.45 Eastern time kickoff, I mean, usually there's like what, a, a half a dozen games going on. And if you're not wanting to watch uh, a single game, you can still watch single games on BT Sport. But this is uh, the multi-match 90 type of approach. Uh, it's with James Richardson from the Guardian uh, Football Weekly podcast. Uh, he's the host. But you also have uh, Julian Lorenz, uh, Howard Webb, the uh, former referee, uh, Rafa Honigstein, Bundesliga expert, and then James Horncastle, who's a, kind of a European football specialist. And uh, it's a little bit different. Actually, it's quite a bit different because usually with Monty Match 90, uh, hosted by Ross Dyer, that's on Fox Soccer To Go and Fox Soccer Plus. And I highly recommend that, that show, by the way. But this one's different because rather than uh, going back and forth uh, to between the games and listening to the commentary and showing the highlights, what they do in BT Sports on the Champions League Goals show is actually they're talking over um, all of the coverage. So for the two hours you're listening to, it's almost like listening to the Football Weekly podcast, you're listening to, to that group of ta- uh, talent talking through. And then if something happens, Rafa might be watching one game in particular, and he'll shout, hey, there's a goal in Bayern Munich. So then they switch over to Bayern Munich. Uh, so there's no commentary. What they do have, though, in the background for the whole two hours is they have the, uh, the crowd noise. So even though you're listening to these guys doing almost like a podcast, uh, you do have the crowd noise. You kind of still feel like you're part of the game. And in the background, you can see some of the match action happening. Uh, the other thing that's interesting, too, is that on the sidebar and also on the bottom of the screen, they have some stats. So they have the, the latest score lines and uh, different stats from different games, and it's all updated uh, in real time. 
But for me, it was really interesting. I really, uh, if you're ever in the UK and you get a chance to watch it, I would highly recommend it. And there's probably some things in there that um, Multimatch 90 at Fox, maybe they won't pick up. But hey, if NBC Sports gets the rights to the FA Cup and uh, in the US and they're able to uh, show uh, a lot more games than they usually do, this is one type of whip around coverage that I think uh, might work very well with a great crew uh, at NBC Sports and uh, kind of a, a way of showing these games in real time uh, on television that could work really, really well. So Kartik, how about you? What have you been watching uh, other than uh, Premier League football and uh, behind the badge? And really nothing. I saw the end of the Leipzig Schalke game. And that was pretty plenty controversial. The game was plenty controversial, but Leipzig uh, marches on, and Schalke had been in great form. They had won five in a row coming into that match, five in a row in the, in the league coming into that match. So Leipzig, uh, the most controversial team in world football for a multitude of reasons, and that's uh, and again, I, as I said before, I'm conflicted about Leipzig, and I know a lot of you have uh, tweeted at me this week wanting clarification and. We've, we've had lots of give and take about Red Bull Leipzig, uh, about RB Leipzig, excuse me. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think they're the, the team we end up talking about the most. Uh, but it's, and I'm very torn as I watch them because there's part of me that is rooting for them to win this league. And I'm going to be perfectly honest about that. So uh, it, it's um, because all of the other stuff going on around that club, or not going on around that club, but all of the contradictions in football that are represented by that club and that club's success and the corporatism of the club and uh, the, how they, they, they've risen to prominence and in the city they picked and all of that stuff. Uh, it's all, uh, it's all worthy of discussion. And I talk about it a lot as people who follow my Twitter feed know, but at the same time, there were still a bunch of young players on the pitch who are punching above their weight, who are playing great football. And so that's where the conflict comes in for me. So, so the conflict, though, like if you looked at, say, uh, PSG, who is, uh, I think they were founded, what, in the 70s? Um, so they're relatively still a, Correct. a new Correct. club. Yeah, yeah, they're a young club. And, and, and they've bought their way to success, you mean, in terms of, um, you mean, basically being acquired, but then just buying some of the richest players in the world, Cavani, et cetera. Um, do, do you see, I mean, is it kind of a difference there with the PSG oh, it's model? completely different. Completely different, because... Germany has a 50 plus one rule. They have a community, a tradition of community ownership of football clubs. They have a tradition of supporters and members of the club running the, the football club. RB Leipzig has 17 members, and I think they're all Red Bull employees, and they got around the rules that way. But the flip side of this is, and I think this is important, and I don't want to get too deep into this pro-rel thing, but... There has not been a club in Bundesliga one from the old East Germany in seven seasons prior to Leipzig, which was founded, which wasn't even around the last time there was a club in the uh, in, in the first division from the old East Germany, which was uh, Hansa Rostock when they got relegated at the end of the 2008, 2009 season. So uh, Leipzig was founded that summer, 2009. First season was 2009, 2010, RB Leipzig. And. I realize, because this is a thing with the free market, and we see it in England. That's why teams from the West Midlands aren't doing very well now. And teams from Yorkshire and Leeds United has been down forever. And Sheffield Wednesday and Sheffield United and Bradford City and you know in West Midlands, Villa and Brom and Wolverhampton, uh, Wolves, they're down. Um, 
if you're not from an economically wealthy region, you have a hard time competing in this open market. And what had happened in Germany is that all the clubs that were in the first division the last several years were all from small geographic clusters where the wealth was accumulated in the country. Now, I know there are people who are going to want to argue with me about that, but just look at the map, just look at the geography, just look at the clubs. That's the reality. So the only way a club from Leipzig or from Lower Saxony can compete with a Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund or Schalke is to have a sugar daddy. Mm -hmm. So part of me says, you know what, it's fine. Because that's the only way people from Leipzig are going to be able to compete with people from Munich. And more power to them, let them win the title. So um, there's, a, there's a lot to it. Yeah, it, it makes the Bundesliga more interesting for sure. Um, the challenge I think the Bundesliga has um, and, and Fox is that there, there is no major fan base for RB Leipzig. Yes, kind of the neutrals or the, the people that root for the underdogs want to see RB Leipzig uh, do well this season and kind of mix things up and make it uh, a close title race, which, which they're doing so far uh, with Bayern Munich. But uh, it's not necessarily going to increase the TV numbers. So, I mean, and then that could take, uh, no. that could take years. Right, it could. And maybe there's some cross affinity with Red Bull New York fans. Um, perhaps. I, I don't know. I mean, I see some of that already on Twitter. I mean, it's funny, uh, Chris, and maybe this is a subject for another show. There's a lot of, does this drive interest in foreign leagues? There are a lot of NYCFC fans that are now Man City fans and, all, and, and a few RB New York fans, not um, as many uh, as the NYC MCFC thing, but a few RB New York fans who are becoming RB Leipzig fans on Twitter. I, I've noticed it. I've noticed it. It's, it's interesting to me because as we get towards these kind of global, global conglomerates, and international clubs with sister clubs, uh, and that's the model for some of these these entities. Mm -hmm. They um, now, of course, Red Bull has sister clubs. I think what the, the 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 Man City model is that the clubs all feed towards Man City. That's the parent club. But right. in, in any event, it seems like there's some affinity going on between fans in this country of those two clubs and their their corporate partners abroad. Yeah. It it, it may be happening, but it just seems so fake. It seems, I don't know, just to me, it seems so... <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Unauthentic. Un you know I mean? Just a, a strange way. I mean, uh, whatever people want to do, <laughs> they're more than welcome to do it. Right, right. And, and you know, to me, it's... it's And I don't want to start a controversy here, but a lot of people know about it, and I get in, get in trouble on Twitter. I've been a Manchester City supporter for my entire adult life, and I feel like I am under no obligation to support New York City FC. I do not mm -hmm. like that club. I do not like that team. But it seems like I get so much pushback from Man City supporters in the U.S. This is our club. Mm -hmm. This is the extension of our club in the United States. And my attitude is like hell it is. But right. that's but there's this thing going on. And it's it's strange to me. It's odd. Which which is exactly what Man City wants. I mean, they want kind of people to kind of like uh, to say, hey, that's that's the closest affinity. Maybe I'll I'll support that team. Um, but but uh, hats off to you for, you mean not succumbing to that and just kind of have an open mind and just uh, you mean making your own decisions without kind of uh, being sheep that follows along with kind of the herd. One more thing, Kartik, before we go on the uh, the first segment, and that's uh, so I mentioned about Tuesday watching uh, BT Sport. I guess with it being the last round of the um, Champions League in the, in the group stage, I wanted to kind of mix things up, so I did the BT Sport on Tuesday. On Wednesday, I tried something different too, which is uh, on Fox Sports Go, which is the uh, the free app that they have where you can watch Champions League, uh, or you can watch FS1 and FS2 if your TV provider is a participating partner. 
But what I watched was, uh, it's, it's called uh, Champions League Match Day Instant Highlights. And it's a bonus feed that's on Fox Sports Go. Uh, I hadn't, hadn't watched it before, but after about 15 minutes, I was, <laughs> I was sick of it. I, I had to leave it and then it went back to FS1. But basically what it is, is the, the, the screen shows the latest scores uh, on, on the screen until a match highlight happens, whether it's a near miss or a shot or a goal. Uh, so then the broadcast then shows the highlight. But there's no commentary. There's just the crowd noise. And then the action then returns to that same list of uh, scores on the screen until something else happens again, and then so on and so forth. And um, there's no commentary. There's, there's nothing. So it's a strange one because I, I don't know who would really watch that. Maybe if they're at work and they have something on in the background um, to watch if something ha- happens. But to me then... Multi-match ninety would be much more would be would be much better because you've got you mean know, at least Ross Dyer adding some color to it or I don't know but anyway so so that was something new I I tried and didn't really like it don't think I'll go back but uh, it just makes me love uh, multi-match ninety uh, even more. All right, Kartik. So let's move on to the next segment of the show and that's the latest uh, TV streaming news and uh, I'll let you go first. Yeah, and uh, I, I think uh, there's been so much talk about DirecTV now, but let's let's save that for uh, for just a little bit uh, now. And the the latest is FS1 is going to have a pregame show tomorrow night, or, or as we record this, it's Thursday, uh, Friday night at 7 p.m., which is going to be a hour long preview of MLS Cup. And to me, this is great that they're doing this, although it's you know a rah rah MLS show because it's on FS1, but. Uh, ESPN and ABC, who've covered the MLS Cup for its first 20, 20 years, right, this year 21, mm-hmm. have never had the kind of bumper program during the week to build up the MLS Cup that um, perhaps they should have and to build interest. So this, this, this is a good thing, and I think this follows on a model that FS1 has had for some of the big U.S. games, where they've had preview shows, shows a day in advance or in uh, Copa America, and... Uh, saw that there was an audience, a niche audience, and it is a niche audience, uh, but an audience nonetheless for that. And then, of course, the final itself is on Big Fox, and that's uh, an exciting development for, for the league and for American soccer. Hopefully it gets a big, big number. Yeah, and, and the last time um, MLS Cup was on over-the-air broadcast television was uh, 2008, so uh, you mean a long time ago, eight years ago, and then that game was shown on ABC uh, that one back in 2008 had 907,000 viewers. So uh, Fox, without any shadow of a doubt, will be hoping for a, a bigger audience than that. Uh, Kartik, uh, what do you, what do you yeah, think? Well, what do you that, think number, is... that game was a 1 p.m. game on Eastern time on a Sunday uh, ah. up against an NFL game. So, and so I, it was the crew and New York Red Bulls, and I thought the number was okay, actually, given – the circumstance. So I think you need to do 1.8 million, 1.5 million to 1.8 million between English and Spanish for it to be respectable. Honestly, I know that's a high number, but it's prime time. It's a Saturday night. You have the two most, two of the four most ruckus fan bases in the league. I would say there are four teams with massive, massive, like energetic fan bases, Toronto, Seattle, Portland, Orlando. Two of those teams are playing each other. It's at night. It's prime time. The ambiance is going to be good because it's going to be really cold in Toronto. Uh, and um, the, the game is being hosted in a Canadian city, which means every U.S. viewer 
of, that's interested in Major League Soccer will probably not be at that game, so they should be watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it's got to do a big number. It's got to do a massive number. And if it does, you know, MLS will be crying about it, and rightfully so. So yep. I say 1.8 million is the number they need. Yeah, I combined. think... Uh... Yeah, English language, I would say that it has, has to be over a million. I mean, if it's anything less than a million, then that is, uh, it's, it's sad because basically the amount of promotion they put into this, so they, you've mentioned the Friday night uh, kind of pregame show. It's uh, actually 7 o'clock, east, uh, 7 o'clock Pacific, 10, 10 o'clock Eastern on FS1. But even this week with the Champions League coverage and the Europa League coverage, if you tuned, tuned into any of the pregame coverage, it was all about MLS Cup. I mean, it was, yes, there's a little bit about Europa League and, yes, a little bit about Champions League here and there, but you had uh, David Villa on. You were talking, you had Grant Wall talking about LA Galaxy and Atlanta United. And even today, Thursday, Europa League has tuned in a few minutes before for the, the Man United uh, Zoya uh, pregame, and they were talking about MLS Cup. So the amount of uh, promotion and airtime and publicity and press releases and everything that they put into this, it has to be over a million on the English side. I would say it really should be 1.5 plus on the English side. It's prime time on a Saturday night uh, on Big Fox. And, it's, and like you said, Kartik, it's two big teams, teams that have stars um, that have more of a national appeal than, say, a, a Colorado or kind of some of these more kind of regional teams. Right. This is in Colorado and Dallas again or Kansas mm-hmm. City and uh, Real Salt Lake. This is Seattle and Toronto. This is... As big as it gets. And we saw the number in Canada last week for the second leg. Yep. The, uh, the number was off the charts. Uh, Canada has 30 million people, unlike uh, the U.S. has 300 million. So if you times that 1.5 million by 10, that 1.5 million that Toronto, Montreal got, you're looking at an NFL-like number or college football playoff-like number. That's how big that game was in Canada. Right. I, I, I know that that's... Uh, unrealistic expectation for the u.s but it's gotta be big it's gotta be a big big number and i know how mls works you and i both know this chris they will spin whatever positive number um they will spin whatever number is a positive yep. but i'm telling you i i between spanish and english it's got to be 1.8 million and i think it's doable i wouldn't be throwing that number out if i didn't think it was doable especially given the amount of promotion they've done this week and even just the uh other events on Fox. I mean, I flipped through a college football game on a Saturday night. Was it the uh, Penn State Wisconsin game? I think was on Fox. They were promoting MLS Cup a week from now. Yep. Tonight, uh, same time slot. MLS Cup. This this could be a turning point for MLS in the TV ratings uh, kind of uh, business because up until this point, it's been disappointing. They've put a lot of effort, whether it's Fox, ESPN, Univision, uh, US Soccer. There's been a lot of money spent and a lot of um, basically push. I mean, Fox is all in on MLS. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, they're putting every every resource into this. Um, so it could be a turning point. It could be... Right, right. Because here's the thing, uh, Chris, sorry to cut you it's off. Okay. We have heard from people for years and years and years, MLS proponents that ESPN and ABC don't promote the league the way it should be promoted. And if they... I mean, I remember when ESPN had the Premier League rights and there would be all these people. We would say, I would make the point, well, why are more people watching Premier League games at 4.45 in the morning uh, Pacific time Mm -hmm. on ESPN than watching MLS games on the same network in prime time? And the excuse would be, oh, well, they're promoting the Premier League games because it's sexy games and they show the highlights on SportsCenter and they won't even show uh, MLS highlights on SportsCenter because SportsCenter 
at least in theory, editorially is different, and they see the Premier League as a big big league, and they don't see MLS as a big league. So they would show Premier League highlights and promote, oh, Chelsea versus Manchester City is on ESPN tomorrow morning, right? Um, right. So we've been hearing this for years and years and years, that an MLS got the same promotion as the whatever European league it is, in, in this, this case the Premier League, it would get the same numbers or higher numbers. Now, Fox has UEFA Champions League rights, uh, the biggest club competition in Europe, and they're using that to pimp MLS, mm-hmm. right? Yep. They're using that to promote Major League Soccer. If Major League Soccer's number isn't off the charts, uh, relatively speaking to previous numbers in this match, then I think those people who made that case to us time and again, we can go back to them and say, hey, look, it's just the product just isn't that compelling. Mm-hmm. But uh, perhaps they were right all along. And if ESPN had put the amount of promotion into MLS that they did into uh, Premier League. And then the, obviously they made this argument when both both sets of rights passed to NBC, and NBC was clearly more invested in the Premier League rights to the point that they didn't even bid on MLS uh, once they had the Premier League rights and bid to renew. Um, maybe they have a point, but I think that there is uh, – I'm not forgetting what people have said in the past when they start throwing about whatever number it is uh, for this game. Um, I, I'm keeping it in, in perspective and context. Yeah, for this one, uh, there are no excuses. I mean, you've got also you've also got Toronto in terms of kind of a sold out stadium, sold out within three minutes. You got you got the match atmosphere. You've got maybe some snow that might, might add a, a different uh, kind of variable to the game. Uh, you, you've got two attacking minded kind of uh, pleasing to watch ga- uh, teams. Uh, this is it. It's a big cup and uh, it's a toss up who who could win this one. So. It shall. Well, we'll talk about it next week. Next week, but it shall be interesting to see what uh, that final number is. Um, also, in terms of the game too, something that's different is it's going to be this uh, MLS Cup is going to be in virtual reality. So, if you happen to be one of the lucky ones that has a Samsung Gear VR uh, or the Google Cardboard, uh, the game is going to be in VR for those uh, who are interested. So, what's wow? The, yeah, I'm je- I'm jealous about that. It's, yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, yeah, but anyway, uh, Kartik, any other news uh, going around uh, the world in TV streaming? As far as, as, far as uh, TV streaming, yes. Uh, we've got uh, BN Sports recording. Oh, sorry, that was uh, – that. We'll, we'll do the BN in the next next segment. Um, so Fubo, uh, which you, I believe, watched this game on, right? Um, That's right. They they had sixty two thousand viewers. I was getting ahead of myself with the overall number uh, for the Clasico, but they had sixty two thousand viewers for El Clasico uh, between Barcelona and Real Madrid, and that was uh, <laughs> that was pretty stunning to me. I'm a Fubo subscriber, so are you. You watched the game on Fubo. What what were your takeaways? Yeah, well, I think the the number of subscribers to Fubo is uh, seventy one thousand. So sixty two thousand people were watching it. Uh, concurrently, so that that's pr- that's pretty amazing numbers in terms of um, kind of the user adoption then and how many are actually using the service. But I, I know that in March they had problems when they had the last uh, El Clasico. There were issues with it crashing for a short time and then coming back. Uh, but this one was flawless. There was no problems at all. The quality of the stream was great. Um, not a big fan of the chat feature, uh, but there is a button towards the top right, so you can kind of click that. And that kind of uh, moves the chat away, and, and then you just see the game itself. Uh, but it was great. And it was a hotel Wi-Fi in the lobby, which usually, usually is not the most reliable type of service. But um, uh, I think Fubo is able to kind of look at um, the megabits per second and see kind of how fast or slow your connection is, and then serve up uh, the best streaming 
uh, kind of uh, package for that, that game that you can possibly get and without very few, well, actually no buffering at all. So yeah, that was really, really good. Um, also, around the world, TV streaming news. Um, this is going to be of interest to some of our listeners, and that is that um, Nick Collins, who's the uh, England national team reporter um, at Sky Sports, has been let go. And for those of you who know Nick Collins, um, you know that he's been following the England team for, for years, reporting on the England national team uh, for Sky Sports News. Um, but for those who might not remember him or may not remember the name, he's the guy with the mustache, a little bit older. Uh, there was one scene, I think a couple of years ago, and actually I was watching this live at that time, but on Sky Sports, uh, he was uh, outside Wembley Stadium, kind of on a, a platform, on a scaffolding, doing a live broadcast, kind of previewing some game. And all of a sudden, the, the scaffolding kind of gave way and he fell down. <laughs> It was, it's, I mean, it's a funny clip to watch. Um, it was live, which was really embarrassing for him. But, um, but besides that, though, too, it's going to be a shame that actually they're letting him go. Um, maybe they're just trying to get, bring in some kind of uh, younger, fresh blood into Sky Sports. But uh, still, uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see where he ends up uh, after leaving Sky Sports. Yeah, Gary, Gareth Southgate, who is now the permanent England manager, uh, commented on this and talked about how, how sad it was. So... Uh, he's had an impact on everybody around England. They're so used to dealing with him. So uh, we'll see. We'll see where he lands. Yeah. Oh, and I should point out uh, real quickly, for those of you who don't know, Sky Sports does not have the England national team rights. So uh, he's often doing kind of the reporting that you see on ESPN FC, for example. This is the closest comparison I can make in the U.S. to rights that they they don't have, soccer league rights they don't have, or – uh, I know for years Barry Melrose has been employed by ESPN when they haven't had NHL rights for about a decade, things like that. So he, he's ended up giving commentary and reporting about a lot of games that are not on Sky Sports. And then uh, two final news items. Uh, the first is that Twitter is interested in live streaming uh, A-League games from, uh, from Australia. And uh, I believe this is only, I think Twitter Australia is looking at this. I don't think this is going to be a worldwide deal but uh, for soccer fans in Australia, they might be able to watch uh, A-League uh, highlights and goals uh, on Twitter in the near future. I think uh, Twitter is bidding on it. We'll have to wait and see if they uh, actually win that. And then um, last but not least, uh, last of all, last week and the last few weeks, we've been talking about DirecTV now. It came out uh, November 30th. Um, I had a chance to, uh, today to go ahead and uh, do the free trial and see what, it, uh, what it's like. Uh, my first impressions... The first thing I, I noticed, which actually uh, I missed last week, but uh, I found today, is that there's no B in sports, and there's no B in sports in uh, Espanol. So for those of us who are hardcore soccer fans, like many of the listeners, you mean watching La Liga, Serie A, uh, EFL Cup, uh, World Cup qualifiers, etc., B in sports is not on DirecTV now, at least not now. <laughs> so maybe in the near future there'll be a deal made, but that's, that's a big miss for soccer fans. Um, using DirecTV itself, the streaming quality is fantastic. It's really, really clear. Uh, no buffering. Uh, picture quality is fantastic. No issues at all. Uh, also, the TV guides and the controls are really slick. And uh, I was using it on my laptop. No problems at all. Um, on a downside, uh, there's no DVR. And also, there's very limited player controls. So, for example, I was watching Europa League uh, today on FS1 using DirecTV Now. Uh, you can pause the game 
So if you want to take a bathroom break or whatever, you can pause the game. But when you come back and hit the play button again, rather than kind of continuing to play the video from where you left off, it jumps to the live action. So if you're gone for five minutes or going to take a phone call and come back and you've, you've paused it, you could press play again and it could skip five minutes. It would skip five minutes and you might have missed a goal. You might have missed something that, that happened. Um, you can't rewind. And when you pause it, you can't fast forward like a minute or two. Basically, it's either you play or you pause. And if you play again, then it jumps to, to the live time, which is... Frustrating. So hopefully those are the things that they can, they can fix in the future, uh, as well as um, be in sports, hopefully adding that in the near future because it's becoming more and more a must-have channel. Now, Kartik, you alluded to this a little earlier, and we're going to talk about TV ratings in the next segment. And Kartik, how about you uh, lead off with the, uh, the big news? Yeah, so uh, the American Nacoxa Sunday number, which um, was... And, and we've talked about Club America, Club America and Chivas being really drivers of television ratings in this country. 2.767 million. It's the most watched Liga MX uh, semifinal match round in over nine years. Uh, but of course, that was an America Chivas game in 2007 in the Clausura. Uh, and that was uh, on Univision. So the final will be played between America and Tigres. Uh, and on December 22nd, the first leg, December 25th, second leg, Christmas, the number is going to be huge for this in the United States. Uh, this number was basically double that of El Clasico. So, um, again, I, I always hear critiques. Well, you can't get fans who are watching the Mexican League to watch uh, MLS and NASL and USL. So that's why the, league, the, the leagues are failing. Well, they can't even get them to watch the Classico or get them to watch the Premier League. Mm -hmm. there's, just, there's just much more interest in League MX in this country than in other leagues, particularly when games involve the America or, or Chivas or uh, Cruz Azul, not when it's um, necessarily some of the other teams. But the ratings are always higher than European games. So uh, 2.767 million uh, for the second leg, a uh, huge number, and uh, that's... Uh, one of the largest numbers we've ever had for a club soccer match in the United States. Yeah, and then the final, like you said, is going to mention the first leg is the 22nd, and then the final on the 25th, which is Christmas Day. But uh, in Mexico and in kind of uh, Mexican heritage, um, often many Me Mexican Americans celebrate Christmas on, on Christmas Eve. That's the big time that they have. So Christmas Day is more of kind of a day that they spend together and have a lot more free time. So, so for soccer fans, whether you love Club America or you hate Club America, you're probably going to be watching that match. Um, so that one should be interesting to see in terms of that number for the second leg. Hopefully the first leg is pretty close and the second leg could be some monster numbers there. Um, the one advantage, uh, well, one major advantage for Liga MX in the U.S. is that they're on Univision. So they're on over-the-air um, soccer, uh, over-the-air broadcast channel. So, so with, for El Clasico, it's tough because imagine if we had Barcelona, Real Madrid that was on ABC or NBC or Fox, uh, etc., um, what those numbers would be. But still, the Liga MX game was uh, almost double, like you said, Kartik, uh, the El Clasico number. El Clasico was 1.4 million, um, 900 and something thousand were on being Sports en uh, Español, and then about 400,000, uh, actually about, about 500,000, I'm sorry was on the, uh, the English side. So uh, still pretty decent numbers, uh, probably not as big as um, being sports had wanted, 
But then again, though, too, I mean, it's like we said before, too, with Fubo, you got 62,000 people watching on Fubo, plus you add the sling numbers, plus you add uh, Yip TV and some other um, streaming platforms, too, and that number will just keep on growing and growing. So it should be interesting to see um, if there's any, any more numbers that'll be shared in the next coming days or so. Um, some of the other numbers from the weekend, too, uh, the Man City against Chelsea match was uh, close to 400,000 people watching that one on uh, NBCSN. And, uh, of course, that was an early morning kickoff. And then on the Sunday, it was uh, Everton against Man United, and that was um, just over 550,000 on NBCSN for that uh, Sunday morning games. So, so definitely decent numbers there for the Premier League. Kartik. Listen to the mailbag. We've got uh, a bunch of uh, this week, which is great news. And uh, maybe if you want to go first, we've got a bunch of emails. And the, the first email, uh, I'll, I'll let you read. Yeah, Scott from McAllen, Texas, who's interacting with us a lot, uh, says, Fox does a great job of regional soccer coverage, uh, specifying MLS, Pokemon uh, Champions League, etc. cetera. Uh, international, not so much. Except I agree that the multi-match 90 is great. Now, Fox Deportes does a... Great job of covering Copa Libertadores. For European soccer, I rather ESPN or NBC. In Spanish, I could be mistaken, but I believe Telemundo is covering the World Cup this year. If that mean, if that is true, that means Andres Contor will be calling games. Andres is, in my opinion, the best Spanish announcer out there. Yeah, Andres, and especially uh, Andres Cantor's uh, goal call for the uh, the Women's World Cup for the final. Uh, Carly Lloyd goal was <laughs> out of this world. I mean, just that that amazing half that goal from halfway line. But his call for that was incredible. And, and Telemundo does have the World Cup rights uh, for the next World Cup, so it's going to be it's going to be different. It's going to be interesting to see how they do in comparison to to Univision. And then Kartik, uh, the next one, uh, another email. This one's from a listener by the name of uh, Keith uh, Wickle, and he says, uh, "Hey, thanks for the hard work on the website and the pod." I've listened for about four, four years now, maybe five. The pod has always entertained. Uh, the rota- rotating cast of the commentary has actually been interesting. Uh, the latest turn to discuss TV coverage has me scratching my head. The excitement of football is in the games, the goals, and the glory. And this creates a culture and a set of tribal rivalries that have endured for more than uh, 100 years in many cases. And he says that uh, I understand that TV coverage and the media have an impact on the game, but it's pretty much a business force, which unless you're involved with it, it's not why I'm a supporter. I could understand having a a more global focus and not just a Premier League focus, which would be cool, actually. I care about the goals, the indescribable moments of joy and poetry the games provide. And And in my case of being a Spurs supporter, the terror and despair, your part in the website have been part of that joy for the last four years or so. But without a focus on those moments of transcendence and the sublime, I'm not sure why I would listen to the new one. So, so let me answer that one, Kartik. And, and, and I appreciate uh, Keith's uh, feedback and uh, opinions there. And but I think it, it is one of those things that, even though we're talking about um, the business side, it really is about watching the soccer uh, on television and streaming and on apps and talking about that experience because uh, it is changing. It is changing kind of monthly and daily for us. Uh, our habits are changing. But I think we're still talking about kind of the joy and kind of the, the moments of glory and those, those kind, of, um, uh, kind of those beautiful moments of, of goals, et cetera. It's just that we're talking uh, about it in the context of actually watching it on Fox or watching it on um, tablets or whatever it may be. But um, what do you think, Kartik? 
Yeah, I think that we end up talking a lot more about on-the-field soccer than you might expect on this show, quite frankly, and, and, and what happens uh, in the games and analysis. No, we're not breaking it down the way we used to on the old uh, podcast, the previous version, but we're also talking about other leagues beyond the Premier League, which I think is very interesting to a lot of folks. Absolutely. And uh, let, me, let me read the next one, Kartik, and I'll have you uh, kind of uh, comment on this one. So this is from RMG. Uh, who's from California, and he sent this uh, question in by email, or comments in through email, and uh, he says, I just wanted to say that I love the podcast's new format. Uh, It really plays to your strengths, Uh, some great episodes and topics so far, and a good yin-yang between uh, you, Chris, your calmness, and Kartik's excitedness. Uh, speechless. Yeah. yeah, I'm speechless right now. No, thank you. Thank you for that. And uh, and I, I agree. I concur. Thanks. Okay. And then uh, last but not least, let me read this one too, Kartik. Um, so this is from Ivan uh, on the comments section on the World Soccer Talk website. And he says, uh, so, so Fox is not showing on TV on Tuesday the Benfica against Napoli game, which is arguably the most interesting game on Tuesday with the highest stakes and they are not showing on TV Wednesday, uh, Lyon against uh, Sevilla, which is arguably the most interesting game on Wednesday with the highest stakes. Hey, let's show meaningless Barcelona and Tottenham games instead. Dear Fox, you can t- continue to be terrible at everything. Uh, they're just going with the uh, games that have, the, with the teams that have the biggest fan bases in the United States. So yeah. I understand that. I wish they wouldn't, but I completely understand it. I, I understand why they do it. Yeah, 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 me too, me too. It, it's just uh, the nature of the business. I mean, they're going after the TV ratings. They're trying to be basically kind of generate as many TV ratings as possible to basically generate more revenue from the advertising. Uh, the Leon Sevilla game was on ESPN2, so it's still available kind of uh, pretty nationally. Um, and in general, I mean, all these games are a lot more available than they ever used to be. So, um, and it's tough for Fox too. If they don't show, if they put the Barcelona game on, I don't know, on Fox Sports Go or Fox uh, Fox Soccer Plus, then you have all these Barcelona fans outraged because they can't watch uh, the game and they can't see. You mean uh, Leo Messi trying to equal the uh, the Champions League group stage scoring record? But you can't win. You can't win them all. So if you do have any uh, questions, feedback, uh, or uh, any anything basically in terms of anything to do with uh, TV streaming soccer, uh, send us an email to web at worldsoccertalk.com or through Twitter at, uh, at WSoccerTalk or last but not least through Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. And last but not least, Kartik, uh, we've got our featured topic of the week. And this is the question, could a USL uh, D2, Division 2, make a good TV league? What do you think? Well, I think the thing that the USL has done very well is be accessible via YouTube. And a lot of people are watching the league because it's accessible. A lot of people have, have discovered the league because it's accessible. And they have next year, there's going to be 30 some odd teams in the Division II league in the United States. And what happens long term as far as splitting it up, of promotion and relegation, uh, is, is to be seen. Now, I should mention at the time we're recording this, USL has not been sanctioned as a Division II league, and the NASL remains the sanctioned Division II league. But it appears like the U.S. Soccer Federation may reverse. Uh, the USL is now the D3 league. That might get reversed next week. There might be teams that 
that jump from NASL to USL. So we're making the assumption USL is the D2 league. They're in enough large markets that it might be a decent D, uh, television league in those markets. The issue, I think, is that you have a lot of MLS reserve teams, a lot of two teams or B teams that are in this uh, lower division, and you've got a lot. You've got a number of holes in bigger cities in, in the U.S. and Canada that uh, uh, that would affect the league's TV profile. So what I think USL is really good for at this point is for experimental um, streaming platforms. We talked about YouTube, Chris, and I, I think that that's, that's an exciting thing. I would love to see, and one of our, um, what, what, one of our listeners has already pointed this out, I would love to see, and I agree with them, I'd love to see USL stream through Twitter or uh, you know, a USL match of the week on Twitter or on Facebook Live and, and using Periscope and using all these different things because I think it's um, that's where the audience is going and USL like soccer in the U.S. in general is a lot of millennials who are cord cutters and there were numerous complaints. They had their final, I think we might have discussed this on a previous show, yeah. they had their final on an ESPN channel and there were people going crazy saying, I've watched every game this season, now I can't watch the final because they had been cord cutters. So... I think the direction is to go towards streaming and away from television. Uh, I guess we call it a TV league, and we talk about TV, but um, is the USL a potential good TV league? No. Is the USL a potential good TV slash streaming league or with an emphasis on streaming? Absolutely, and I think it already is providing that. Yeah, the, the, the biggest attraction to me uh, about USL would be going to the games. You know I mean, having an intimate uh, atmosphere, kind of an intimate stadium, uh, being able to cheer on your local team, um, seeing some rivalries between, say, I don't know, Cincinnati and Louisville, or you mean, um, or Nashville, and 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 have kind of um, that side of things. Because like from the TV side, um, the level of football is probably pretty decent. It's probably I don't know similar in England to maybe League One or League Two at that at that level. So watching the games would be pretty good. But for me, going to say I don't know. A Rotherham game or a Scunthorpe game. Go, actually, go into those games probably would be more of a pleasurable experience than actually watching it on television. It's probably not the most appealing uh, TV to watch, but going into the games and singing with the fans and kind of from that perspective uh, is, to me at least, more more attractive. But um, I'm with you on the, on the YouTube thing. I think uh, or, or Twitter. I think I mean there definitely needs to be ways for uh, to kind of appeal to growing that fan base and, and for those people who can't get to the game, maybe there's kind of something that something like YouTube or Twitter that, that's kind of the next best thing where they can still watch some of the, the action or, or watch the highlights or be able to actually watch and follow the team, if, if, especially for away, away games too. Um, but I don't, see, I don't see them doing kind of a deal with being sports uh, if NASL goes away and they're looking, you know, and being sports looking for somebody else to come in to fill that space, I, I don't see that happening. I think uh, for the most part, digital is probably the best way to at least go and see see how things go. I mean, maybe for the next uh, next season and see what the numbers are and see if there's an opportunities there um, to go ahead and maybe in the next few years maybe move to a TV platform, but but not yet. Yeah, I tend to agree with that, and that's that's my general sense is that you you use the streaming platform, you develop the context around the games, you sell the in-game experience, the ambiance of the stadium, and then and and the and the experience of going to the ground, and then that builds 
the context of launching it into the TV uh, universe in a couple of years. Exactly. I think so. Okay. Well, if you disagree with us or, or you agree or you have any additional feedback or comments, again, send us an email or hit us up on Twitter or send us a message on Facebook, and we'll be uh, more than happy to read out those, uh, those messages. And then for next week's podcast, it should be an interesting one. We'll have the MLS TV numbers from the MLS Cup to share and discuss, um, as well as um, probably talking about uh, some of the, the, the games coming up to, for uh, Liga MX. And actually, Kotick, I just remembered, too, uh, this Sunday on NBCSN, uh, they're going to be... Uh, actually, NBC is changing the name of the Sunday broadcasts of the Premier League football. So they're going to be calling it Premier League Sunday. It's going to have a new opening. It's going to have new music. Uh, it's going to be uh, probably produced a little bit differently. So that should be interesting to see kind of what they do and how different it is. And maybe they do... Yeah, some... it's, a, it's an odd thing to do in the middle of the season, quite frankly. But Yeah, I think, I think, I think they, they're kind of behind the eight ball in terms of from the Olympics. So I think most of the talent and most of the production resources got kind of sucked into the whole Rio Olympics. So, um, so I think the plan was, even, even since August, is to do incremental changes throughout the season um, as things have gone by as far as adding the fantasy shows and even on the digital side, doing, adding some different features and um, maybe doing the behind the badge a little bit later this season than, than maybe previous years. Time, yeah, the timing is. Uh, I personally, I think it's probably something they had planned for a while, but just um, just had to get all their ducks in a row. But it should be interesting to see see if it's uh, much different, if at all. So we'll be talking about that next week, as well as those MLS numbers and much, much more. So thanks everyone for listening and Kartik. Enjoy your football. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.